excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, sounding a little bit cleaner this week as we are one step closer to our normal recording format. Two of us in the friendly confines of the Austin Radio Network compound. The other member is still on Skype broadcasting from afar, but hopefully soon we will all be in the same room, be one big happy family <laughs> once again. Nevertheless, we march on. Uh, the Drop Machine Extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz and Day Daily Fantasy Guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about yourself? Not too shabby. And the third member of our team, he is our lockdown corner on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-America, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you for being As along. always. Thank you for being along for the ride again this week, gentlemen. And thank you for subscribing, listening, however you're doing it, wherever you're doing it from. We thank you so much. You can get every episode of Longhorn Blitz by going anywhere you get your podcasts and just searching Horns 24-7 podcast to get every episode of State of Recruiting, the flagship, and Longhorn Blitz. Just click the subscribe button. And don't forget to leave us a, uh, a five-star review if you are so inclined. All right, gentlemen, we are, we're working our way through a spring preview. We you know, extensively went over the secondary this week, and we'll just keep making our way through the uh, through all levels of this football team until we get to, well, we're going to finish with the offensive backfield, and quite frankly, I think we know that's the, that's the easiest position to talk about going into spring practice. But... Guys, we're going to talk about the defensive front this week, and this is a good place to start because of the news that came down last week. Marquez Bimage, who opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID-19 concerns, was expected to be back with the team this spring and had been working out with them uh, in winter conditioning. Uh, he's put his name in the transfer portal. So, uh, guys, whichever one of you wants to take this first, when we talk about this defensive front, I think the biggest question mark is, and I'll tell a quick story before we get into the discussion. So back in 2006, I was at Big 12 Media Days in Kansas City. A young reporter just took whatever money I had because I felt that was the important thing to do at the time and uh, went to Kansas City for Big 12 Media Days to hang out and network and do all that fun stuff. And I was having lunch. It was the day Texas was going. They were doing their Big 12 Media Days was structured different than it is now. Texas was doing all their junkets with radio people and TV people and print, et cetera. And I was having lunch at a table with DeMarco Farr, uh, who I believe former Rams defensive tackle. I think he was working with Fox at the time. And we started talking Texas, and he said, okay. So he starts running down all the numbers that Vince Young put up in 05. And he said, okay, how do you replace all this? And I proceed to give this long dissertation about, well, you know, Jamal Charles is a year older and, 
They feel like they're they like one of these two quarterbacks uh, that they're going to be able to, to at least drive the bus. And you know, Lima Sweet emerged last year. We got a veteran offensive line. Everybody's excited about Jermichael Finley. Yada yada yada. And we kind of agree. Okay, Texas is going to be fine. Well, it wasn't long after that where I was just kind of in thought by myself, and I said, "Wait a minute! Don't don't be a moron. You don't replace Vince Young. There's just no way you do it." And I say that to say this: when we talk about this defensive front, Rod. You don't replace Joseph Osai. There is no one person in this program right now. I don't even think there's anybody you can go get in the portal this year in terms of one person you can replace Joseph Osai with. So figuring out how to moneyball that, you know, kind of recreating him in the aggregate, if you will, finding a replacement for Joseph Osai, you're going to have to do that if you're Pete Kwiatkowski as the defensive coordinator and the outside linebackers coach. Now you're just having to do it with one less body with Marquez Bimage on his way out. Yeah, I mean, I think for Marquez Bimage, it might have been the difficult decision of to fit into Kwiatkowski's new scheme and system that he's going to bring in. You know, how do you transform your body, right? For him, it probably, you know, whether it's, it's going to be him adding weight because he's probably going to either move inside or he's going to have to lose weight to become more of those hybrid defensive ends mm-hmm. that we know Kwiatkowski really values. And that's, you know, in that scheme, that two, four, five, which I, I they're going to transition to, I, I assume at one time, um, maybe he just knew that he wasn't the right fit. I can, and I can see that partly for a lot of guys, the strength of this team, all your strength of this defense, no question, is going to be the interior D line. We've talked about that, right? Yeah. Kendra Coburn with Alfred Collins, uh, you know, Tavondre Sweat, you're going to have some real talent. You're going to be really deep there. So for him to think about moving inside, he probably saw that as, you know, that's going to be a tough task for him transitioning if he's going to try to do that and gain weight. And then to try to do it on the outside, that would been tough too. I think that's why the coaches have prioritized, you know, bringing in those hybrid defensive ends, right? What's the – you look at what's the most active they've been in the transfer market, specifically with a position, it's been those hybrid defensive ends. Uh, the defensive end coming in from Notre Dame, a Gofu. Uh, you got Ray Thornton coming in from LSU. What's the the reports are they're going to get a five star potentially yeah. from Alabama? Is yeah, that- we're we're expecting them to to end up with with Ben Davis, the Alabama transfer, former five star recruit who played inside backer, played outside backer for them. Where that, that he he hasn't made that official yet, but we're okay. you know all of our intel says that's that's what's going to happen. He's going to end up at, he's going to be at Texas at some point. All right, so we don't know about that, but at least they're pursuing it. It shows you they're very active there mm-hmm. because I think when they surveyed, when, when they got a chance to look over the roster um, and they decided, all right, the one thing we need right away are our type of defensive ends, right? The mm-hmm. body style they want, their prototype of player there, um, especially in a past happy Big 12. So – I think Marquez Bimish just kind of saw the writing on the wall, and he probably wanted to go somewhere where his skill set, body type, are a little bit more compatible. I'm not saying that he couldn't have been that guy here, but it does show coaches are really active there for a reason um, because they're looking at the roster and looking at that position and going, nah, I don't really like what I see. Or at least that's they're, they're, those guys aren't my type of player at that position. 
I think Bimmage missed his impact year if he was going to have one. I think he missed it by a year. I, I think in Chris Ash's defense, had the circumstances been better, had there been no COVID, had Bimmage been able to play last year, uh, he was a perfect, you know, Rod, I hate these terms, but we just use them for lack of better ones right now. When you think of that typical, you know, kind of strong side defensive end in a 4-3, uh, that's kind of what Marquez Bimmage is in a four-man front, I should say. You guys, what do you slap me the next time I use the term 4-3 since I talk about how – I hate so much when you talk about three, four, four, three. Uh, but in, a, in, a, in more of a tr- kind of, and Chris Ash ran more of a true four man front than you'll see a, a lot of people running in the days of multiple fronts. Uh, Bimmage really fit that scheme. I, I don't know that he fits this one. And then that, that brings me to something else, Rod. When you look at the guys coming back, like we know, like Ovia Gofu's going to play on the edge, right? So what he did at Notre Dame. Ray Thornton's a guy that played inside, played outside at LSU. He, he fits what they want. But two guys that stand out that, one, I don't know how it's going to translate, but I'm excited about his potential. And the other one, I don't know really where he fits. The guy who I'm excited about his potential is Jacoby Jones because there's been times where he's flashed that big-time ability. And the other guy is Moro Ajomo, similar to what mm-hmm. we talked about last week with Chris Adamora and B.J. Foster, guys like that, Anthony Cook. I don't, Rod, I don't really know what you do with, with Moro Ojomo. Yeah. I agree. I think there, I think you got a couple of guys uh, on that defense like that. Uh, the really, I think the saving grace is going to be the creativity of Kwiatkowski. Yeah, because um, he recognizes talent and he just got to figure out a way to utilize it. You don't really have a guy who thinks inside the box. You have a creative problem solver. So I'm not as concerned with how he's going to use those guys. I am curious as to where they're going to play. Right. Right. I'm curious as to where you're going to put Ojomo. Is he going to be inside or outside? Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, you know, and looking at the defensive ends, I think their ideal defensive end is going to be Jatavion Sanders. Right. The the ideal one, the ideal project in the future. He's the guy. Um, I don't and I know they're going to try him out on both sides of the ball, but I think ideally he's the one that you want to be your NFL caliber defensive end in Kwiatkowski scheme. Yeah, yeah, and fans just love seeing any highlights of that dude or just any way that that guy can be made. But I think the whole answer to this Bimage situation is all these numbers. When we just went through a handful of names, you know, and you talk about just being maybe stuck in an area where you don't have a well-defined role and you see so many other potential pieces that may fit there, it's good for Texas, but he may end up being that one odd man out. And then you talk about you already have the middle solidified, and that's where if we're talking about how do you replace and you don't replace a guy like Osai, but how you platoon the aspect together or manufacture the pass rush from somewhere, when you have two guys in the middle and two guys like Coburn and Collins, I mean, if you were to ask a coach out of nowhere, it's like, well, I'm not going to have that one just great pass rusher, but you're going to have two guys closer to the ball that can get that disruption as fast as possible. That's a way that you can actually manufacture it and have it be almost as impactful, not as impactful, but when you have fresh bodies on the out, Side platooning, a lot of depth, a lot of diversity and skill set to complement the two what you would call war daddy type guys in the middle. Yeah, it, it, you make a good point, Matt. It's depth. I just wonder what is the, and I think it's quality depth on some level. To what quality is the depth? Mm-hmm. That would be my my I'm question. To. Specifically, at those two edge positions, like in, inside. You know, when you talk about Collins and Coburn and Sweat, sweet, even though Sweat's coming off the injury, uh, you know, Myron Warren's still in this program. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sawyer Gorham Welch was a guy that the previous staff I know was really high on. We saw Vernon Broughton late in the year. So I, 
I'm not too concerned about depth on the interior. Uh, nope. It's the quality depth on the edges. And Rod, you know, we we watched the one game last year, the Baylor game, which that was probably the most fun I've had watching a game. By the way, not joking. When I did the uh, the little uh, watch along with you and, and Aaron Hogan, and we were commenting on nothing. We're on a Zoom call. Stuff. And doing, yeah, yeah, that was the most fun I've had watching a game in a really long time. And that Baylor game was one where Jacoby Jones made a few splash plays. Um, I don't, I don't know that he fits the hybrid mold. I don't, I don't think he does. At least you know, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But man, that guy just on on a per snap basis, probably one of the more productive guys they had in the lineup last year. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. I agree with you on that. I remember him making what you call those splash plays and stood out. I haven't looked at exactly how many snaps he got in, but. I mean, he's one of those guys that, yeah, you look down that roster because they're so deep, and you forget, you almost forget about him on that yeah. D line. That's how deep they are on that defensive line, man. I mean, we we obviously we know Alfred Collins probably has the highest ceiling. Keandre Colburn's your kind of your rock of Gibraltar there, but man, Vernon Broughton's the guy. Can't wait to see what they do with him. Jacoby Jones. Uh, we talked about Ojemo, but Tavondre Sweat's another guy that was just. I remember him standing out making splash plays last year, a ton of those. So, man, that D-line is going to be thick. I mean, it's mm-hmm. – and in the Big 12, I expect, honestly, other than Oklahoma, and I know – you know, I got to see – I got to look at Oklahoma's defensive line. I think it, it it's probably going to be contending for the best D-line in the Big 12, no question. Yes, no, for sure. I agree there because they already were. You know, going into last year, we talked about what's the strength or what's the one thing Texas is going to have that maybe the rest of the conference doesn't have. And it was the ability to have guys up front that really are hard to find, not only in this league, but across college football, only at the top of the elite. Now you have one year older versions of them. And you're coupling that with a guy like Kwiatkowski, who throughout his career, you've been able to see not only does he find players like that to continue maybe the pipeline, but he gets a lot out of those guys and his D-lines at Washington were as productive. So you're talking about coupling those two together could actually be improved. We'll, we'll so say- what's the body type of, real quick, the Jacoby Jones thing, right? He's what, he's what, 265? Uh, yeah, Somewhere they're, they're about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, six, he's yeah. listed 6'4", 264. Four. Okay. Um, so, I mean, is he playing, is he playing inside? No, I think outside? he's I think he's playing outside, Rod. I just don't. I mean, I haven't seen. We haven't Does he seen have the, to lose some weight to play outside. I mean, probably. I, and and, and Kwiatkowski scheme. I'm well, the the weight the weight doesn't concern me, Rod, as much as I just don't know that he has that hybrid skill set. You know what I mean? That's what I'm. Because well, he's like the same body type he's as lacking most and more than anything. Like on, hybrid skill set. Like honestly. Um, that's why the idea of Alfred Collins playing defensive end in this scheme doesn't <laughs> it's not a bad idea to me because he's got I mean look I was right there that's right. how freakish he's a freak. he is. Yeah, you're was, talking about 350 you're like ah but now this guy no, that's we, 90 pounds less doesn't have the skill you know, set we, we, this we, freak does. We've said it before I mean about Alfred Collins you know God doesn't make very many human beings like that. No. You know they're <clears> that, are, that are legitimately 65 300 pounds uh, that are basketball players that have the kind of bend and flexibility he does. Uh, they just there aren't that many of those guys. That's why you know again him playing defensive in this scheme situationally, I don't think is a crazy idea. But yeah, I, I don't know if that makes sense, Rod. What I'm saying, like with Jacoby Jones, though, to me it's not a weight thing. We just haven't seen him drop and cover and do all the things a defensive end is going to need to do in this scheme. 
I agree. I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and I think you start with, you know, losing weight to try to make sure that you could keep up uh, on the perimeter yeah. uh, of, of the Big 12. But I'm with you. Like, I wouldn't know. I mean, I think and I wonder going back to the Marquez Bimich conversation, if, you know, as you say, you know, a football guy, he started looking at the board himself. And I'm sure they're getting details about the scheme and they're getting some of the concepts about the scheme. And he's looking at it going, oh, man, that's like, this is not me. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is not <laughs> this is not my skill set at all. They're, that's why they're bringing in these transfer guys that they're going to they, they, they're going to recruit past me. Because uh, I'm not ideal, or I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go through some dynamic, you know, metamorphosis and mm-hmm. change my body, uh, or learn new skills, pain. you know, over an off season. And I think for him, he said, "No, nah, I think I'd rather, because I know I'm a really good player. I know I can go start somewhere in a lot of places, and let me just use this extra year, the blanket eligibility that I have, um, and just go somewhere else and play. Because I know I could." You know, I know I'm a I know I'm a good ball player. I know I can start at most places I go to. Yeah, and I mean, us bringing up Alfred Collins, it sort of is the perfect guy that if we're talking about having to manufacture that depth, just to have that luxury to have a guy that can be the one that can, well, if we need it in a pinch, he can be on the outside and be that pass rusher, and it can allow you to give multiple looks, and it can allow you to confuse the defense, almost like an amoeba-style defense if needed, just to have that as the guy to provide depth at, say, backup defensive end he's still going to be the guy in the middle but then it's always going to be in the back of the mind of the offense where is he going to finish being lined up and where is he actually going to impact the play because he can show as if he's that d lineman and you can quickly shift before the snap and be something that you would never know and it can help manufacture that depth if you need it there if not keep them in the middle and just let them go it's interesting guys and we'll get into this more you know as we get closer to the season we'll see what happens in the spring but you know, Pete Kwiatkowski's making $1.7 million a year. He's, he's going to earn it in 2021 because similar to what we talked about with the secondary, it could be that way up front, especially at the edge positions. Basically just figuring out on a week-to-week basis who you need out there mm-hmm. might change. Yeah. Like one guy, Rod, that I think could benefit from this, this change, where he maybe didn't really fit in the previous scheme, but I think fits really nicely potentially in this scheme, you know, a guy like Prince Dorba. Who really is a, you know an off the ball linebacker, uh, but yeah. but did play on the edge in high school, played with his hand on the ground in high school. Uh, he's got the skill set for this, uh, but mm-hmm. at the same time, Prince Dorba's probably not a guy you know uh, unless he just has just just really owns the weight room and has some massive growth spurt and, and adds a whole lot of bulk that kind of unforeseen at this point. Uh, probably not a guy you want playing. Uh, with a team like Iowa State that runs 13 personnel or a team like Kansas State that wants to run a lot of fullbacks at you. But on the mm. other hand, Jacoby Jones, that that's right up his alley. So, uh, again, like with some of those secondary positions, it's going to be Pete Kwiatkowski looking at this thing week to week saying, all right, this week these three or four guys are going to be the guys that get the bulk of the snaps, not these guys. And the very next week that could change and be the exact opposite. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, that's what I'd even recommend, right? Because we talked about you got so much talent in the secondary, in an, almost an embarrassment of riches. It'd be a shame in the hybrid. You talk about the hybrid spread conference the Big Twelve is becoming. You know all these different ways to to attack you defensively. They're looking to exploit matchups. That's why, you know, Iowa State likes their 
their multiple tight end sets with 13 personnel and uh, K-State will still try it out multiple uh, backs in the backfield against you. They're looking for matchup and matchups and numbers advantages. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, with Lincoln Riley, you got to watch that too. Lincoln Riley will throw a, a multiple back formation at you or he'll break out that H uh, position that he has. That's a running back slash fullback um, and use them as a as another tight end and try to get numbers against you. Uh, so, yeah, you cannot assume in the Big 12 because – Everybody has the assumption it's a pass-happy league, that every team's trying to attack you the same way they're not. Texas, strangely enough, is very, you know, they're probably the only team in the Big 12, actually, that is situated with enough talent and enough talented depth, as you always say, Jeff, to be able to match up week to week with all of those different types of hybrid offenses. They're the only team in the Big 12 that can do it because nobody else can recruit at, you know, that type of depth. Nobody can recruit that type of talent. So when you look at it, it'd be a shame for Kwiatkowski not to do it. Now, once you get three years into recruiting, he'll have his type of players, and then he'll have guys he can keep on the field for the majority of snaps because they're exactly the pieces that he has envisioned to play in that scheme. But right now, you're just trying to fit these different puzzle pieces as best you can to give you a product, a, a, a product that's effective on the field. Um, best way to do it might be, depending on who you play that week, you might have a better matchup advantage depending on the personnel. Yeah, and this is something we mentioned right whenever Kwiatkowski was hired, but you know, him coming from the Pac-12 to the Big 12 is a huge deal in my mind. It's one of the first times that Texas, you know, if you look at the recent staffs, they didn't come from, say, a like-minded conference. You had when Charlie came over, you're coming from the East Coast and coming from a style of football that's so far from the Big 12. Even when Herman came, you know, the Big 10 maybe evolved a bit, but not nearly to what it was. And then, I mean, you could talk about U of H, was the most similar just because it's like say a lesser version of what you saw in the Big 12 but still those staffs quite unfamiliar but when you're talking about what's the one conference most similar to the Big 12 stylistically on a week-to-week basis and you could say that's the Pac-12 so I think Kwiatkowski coming from something where he's seen similar type things over years and has seen their raid and we talked about him against guys like Mike Leach and his history against Cal and schools like that but also having to mix in in between those two playing a USC or something, you know, that can set you up a little bit better than the previous staffs. Yeah, and he, he still saw, you know, the tail end of that Chip Kelly, Mark Helfrich arrow when they really had go. it rolling at Oregon. You get the tail end of that, which was a spread you out to run it type deal. Uh, you know, Barad, we talk about snap distribution and, uh, you know, talking about, you know, different guys might play a different number of snaps, and as time goes on, he'll have guys that play the majority of the snaps. I think do we all agree that Alfred Collins is is playing or should be playing or needs to be playing the majority of the snaps as many in, as in 2021. Yeah, you got to play him as much as possible and it's going to be interesting to see how he works out the rotation on D-line because there are a lot of guys that de- deserve some snaps. Alfred Collins and Kendrick Coburn in terms of the interior are going to be your two top guys but man, how do you work in Vernon Broughton. How do you work in Tavondre Sweat? How are you going to work in Jacoby Jones, as you said? I mean, those guys, uh, Moro Ojimo. I mean, how do you work mm-hmm. those guys in? What is the percentage of snaps to make sure that everybody's 
uh, performing at their most effective, right? You don't want to wear out Africa. You want Africa to be uh, a, a category five force of nature every time he's on the field. Um, but you got to keep him fresh. And at Big 12, they'll try to wear those D linemen out. But you're deep enough where, man, that's your concern. What a first world problem. Man, how many how many snaps is Alfred Collins going to get? That's a first world defensive line problem. Yeah. And when we talk about spring ball, you know, I, I think, look, they're going to, they're obviously going to get Alfred Collins a lot of run because he's still a young guy. But I think we can all agree they'll figure out pretty quick what they've got with Alfred mm-hmm. Collins. It's not going to be a mystery. They should have a pretty good idea early on of what they've got with Coburn. Uh, I think for the other positions, though, guys, Rod, I think you, you hit on the head talking about depth. I think I think you know, you know O-line coaches want a certain number of, of offensive linemen, like seven or eight just starting caliber guys, and you want to emerge from spring with you know X number of guys, maybe a receiver or whatever. And I think if you're Pete Kwiatkowski, if you're Bo Davis coaching that defensive line, I think you just want as many guys coming out of spring, you want as high a number as possible of guys that say, okay, I think this guy over the summer, by the time we get to camp, he can be he he can play snaps for us. He's worthy of playing snaps for us. Just to give you a talent depth because that's the one position where you need to keep bot you need to keep your your top tier guys fresh and especially through the grind that is camp but i think too again going back to what we talked about give yourself as many options as possible in other words the fewer guys you can eliminate from contention the better off you're going to be at not having that drop off that that the, the you know your production your presence on the edge fall off a cliff just because joseph osai is not there yeah, no, I, I think that you know they're they're they they understand what you said about Joe's society can't replace them. That's why their priority, even right now, and has been bringing in other hybrids, hybrid players who could be an option through the transfer portal. So it may not be a you know a standout, uh, truly impactful position like you wanted because, like you said, you're going to money ball the approach, but it. I think that at this point they don't want it to be a liability. I think when right. they came in, they right. must have seen it as, "Oh man, this could this could be the reason your defense ends up being subpar. Like this could bring this could sink your entire defense if you don't get this handled and we don't handle it right away. And we're running out of time to pursue options. Right? We we got to get this going before spring so we can start troubleshooting and start." testing you know the different concepts and seeing all right where are we going to be exploitable on this defense who's going to be a player for us where are our strengths where are our weaknesses um and i think that's why the sense of urgency at defensive end and it's, it's unfortunate that marquez bimage you know that he's decided to leave but like i said at least you have options there and that's still you know that's still something you got to worry about with other guys i mean other guys may decide they want to transfer too it may not be over Unfortunately, mm-hmm. if, if 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 guys are transferring here, that also means that the players may be transferring out. Like that's just the law. Of, that's the law of nature here in the new transfer portal world. Rod, you you said it so eloquently there, and said what I was trying to say in my incoherent rambling a few a few minutes ago, uh, which is basically the worst case scenario is if they come out of spring saying, "Man, this position is still a liability, and there's not enough bodies in the portal for us to fix this, and we're really going to have to to mask this deficiency." Like I think, as long as they're not saying that coming out of the spring, then it'll be yep. workable. But I do think, though, Rod, that is a plausible scenario that they get through the spring and say, "Man, it's just 
either guys are a year away or they're not good fits or whatever the case is. Uh, I, if you're if you're Kwiatkowski, I don't you know, you shouldn't. The hope is that you do, that you don't that you get to the end of spring ball and you're not saying, oh, man, we really need. Oh, you go for Ben Davis here like we needed them here yesterday because this is so. Yeah. Bad. No, I agree. And, you know, and, and the reason you you like some of the transfer portal guys you bring in, you, you know, not all the time, but usually they've had some experience. Right. They've gotten a chance to play a little bit um, at that level. So the transition shouldn't be as shocking to them right. to play, you know, and, and maybe the Big 12 style of football. Uh, just because of the, you know, the prolific offenses. But, no, I still think that, you know, they wanted, they wanted to make sure, like you always say, they had options there just in case. And these other, and listen, the guys here may work out great for them. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know. Is, is Reese Laytow still going to play defensive in? Is he still? Or is what's the Reese Laytow situation? Yeah, he is. Uh, my understanding is, he is he's not with the team. No, he is pursuing uh, pursuing medical school. Oh, so he's done. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I forget about that. Yeah. So I mean, I'm just trying to think of all the different options that they could have at the end. And they really didn't have as many as you think um, right. that could play in Kwiatkowski's scheme, from what I've watched. Like I, and and you're right. It's more about skill set more so than body type. Um, but I think you've struggled to find the body type and the skill set for those guys who are currently on the campus now. Yeah. Which is why. They wanted to go. They want to go elsewhere, looking for him. I mean, I think the best guy from a skill set standpoint that you have, Rod, in turn, I mean, Jet Bush is a scholarship guy now, and I don't want to make this sound like I'm demeaning. Oh Jet yeah, Bush, but Not about Jet Bush, uh, the one, the the guy who I think and he's uh, pretty close to the top of my list of guys that I'm anxious to see what they do this spring is Prince Dorba. We talked about him a minute ago. I mean, I, I think just yeah. from a from a again from a skill set standpoint, I think he fits. I think he's I think he's a much better fit in this defense than he was in the Chris Ash defense. But can he be bullied? What is he two twenty? Uh, maybe I think that's maybe what they list him at. Yeah. So it, it, it it's, but you're right though. It depends on how physical he plays, right? That doesn't right. mean anything. Like I said, Quandre Diggs is a perfect example of a guy that plays like a damn linebacker, but mm-hmm. he's the size of one of your smallest DBs in the league. I know he so played. I know he played closer to the mentality. ball in high school. He played closer to the ball in high school and was really good. But so saying, exactly, you know, how does he use his leverage? Um, you know, how is his base get pad level? All those different things, right? That all plays a role. So I'm not saying he can't. I'm just right. looking at the size. It's okay, six three, two twenty. And at, at this point, he's probably two thirty. I mean, I haven't, I don't, I haven't kept up with Prince Dorber in the in the weight room. But no, no. If you think he can play it, I I agree with you. I think it's something that also will be an option for they. They're gonna have to exhaust all options because they don't right. have that many. Yeah, like, they're that- gonna have to give every every guy on that thing a shot. I mean, so I wouldn't doubt if it's Prince Dorber gets a shot and. I don't know. Is Jalen Ford that kind of player? No, nah, he's he, uh, more he, he's more of an inside guy. You know, an I, inside guy. Yeah, you know, I, I think so, I think though. But you know, Matt, Matt, go ahead. You you got you got something you want to get to? Well, no, I was just going to point out that uh, the idea of being able to, when I brought up Collins being able to spin out, you know, on the D line. Just we've seen so many success stories depending on where you're at. And at Texas in the Big Twelve, if we're ever talking about your most efficient areas spinning down, and maybe you're a 
tiny bit undersized. That may be just for what our thought is, but it actually fits much better. And we've even seen that from DN to D tackle over and over and over. I mean, Alex Okafor is a linebacker in the league playing D tackle at Texas. We had that with the Achos and guys like that. So I think to have a guy like Collins that can add that defensive end ability is so big. And then it's at the same level if we're talking about at linebacker, those are another area that you don't have to worry as much about size in this conference where it won't be as detrimental as it say would be in other areas of the game. But Rod, to your point, and, and that kind of gets back to what we talked about with the secondary last week and, and what spring ball is all about. Man, experiment with some of those guys. Exactly. You know, uh, maybe David David Benda might be your number four inside linebacker, but maybe he's the best option you've got to play on the outside. I, I don't know. That's again, that's yeah. for that's for Pete Kwiatkowski and, and Jeff Choate, who's coaching inside linebackers. That's for those guys to figure out. That's what that's what man, that's what spring ball is all about. Now I know it's tough to do when you're still getting to know your personnel. You're still getting to know your players. But uh, you know, Rod, inside linebacker is one of those positions where uh, I, I think. I think I've just kind of accepted some things there. I've kind of accepted that Jawan Mitchell, uh, you know, is what he is in terms of there's going to be some yep. some teams where he's a great matchup to have on the field, and there's going to be some weeks where you're just hoping he doesn't get exploited too bad, you know, or that you can hide him a little bit. Uh, I think the most encouraging thing maybe defensively in the entire program outside of Alfred Collins is the improvement we saw from DeMarvian Overstone as the year went on. I I think by the end of the year, Rod, I can safely say, I don't know how high you want to put them on, but I, I I thought by the end of the year, Texas had a linebacker tandem with Overstone and Mitchell that was worthy of saying, yeah, these guys are in the top half of the Big 12, which at the start of the year, that's something you couldn't say about those two guys. Which was envied, yes. Yeah, no, Overshawn by the end of the year was one of the better defensive players, period, that Texas had on on the team. And, and I'm going to say him and Juwan Mitchell started the season as liabilities. Yeah, right. Yeah, they started and he the never played the position. The weakest, yeah, they were the weakest part of the defense. Essentially, that's where you wanted to attack the defense. That's where teams were attacking the defense early on, um, and you saw as the season progressed that actually became a strength. You could argue it was a strength and definitely wasn't a weakness, um, but you could argue that it was a, it one of the strengths on the defensive side of the ball. So I, I'm with you. I think DeMarvio and Overshone's progression this season could be all-conference level type progression. I mean, he really could get there this season if he stays on the same trajectory that he was on when he ended last year. There are two two tapes I would, if you want to do some off-season watching, to – get you ready for to just remind you get you ready for spring ball and remind you of how much the inside linebackers for Texas improved go watch the Texas Tech game and then go yep. watch the West Virginia game it's it's night and day it's it's apples and pomegranates whatever analogy you want to use man it is it is worlds apart in terms of how much better and more equipped those guys were to handle a Big 12 offense from the conference opener until November when they played West Virginia at home. Yeah. No, they, and, and like I said, they still had a lot of growing to do. I mean, the K state game is a prime example, right? K state's mm-hmm. offense did a really good job. They came right back to exploiting the linebackers. They did it with multiple back formations. They put, they went diamond formation at times and they just went, they just went misdirection, turned it out basically an old triple option football. And our, our linebackers, they just couldn't, by the time they identified where the ball was, 
in terms of the, the the magic the magic show that they had working in the backfield with all the pre-snap motions and shifts. By the time they identified where the ball was with Deuce Vaughn, he's already gone. Now everybody everybody don't have a Deuce Vaughn, right. so you ain't got to worry about that from that perspective. But it did show you that there are still ways that you could exploit the linebackers, and I, you know, we can understand that. But I I, I agree with you 100 percent that that group. Um, in terms of their growth, and I'll give the linebacker uh, coach uh, Coleman Hutzer a lot of credit. Right, he did a really good job with yeah. those guys. Their growth throughout the season, it was uh, watching the film on the guys. It, it probably was the most of any position on defense. Period. In terms of secondary or D line, no position got better um, at a at the rate that the linebackers did all throughout the season. And I'm, I'm just saying that D-line didn't even have to worry about that because D-line wasn't a, right. a weakness. But they went from being a weakness to a strength. You usually don't see that um, by the end of the season. And I think that was mostly DeMarvio and Overshone. Yep. He just – he used to – he tried to – you can watch him early in the season. He's avoiding contact. Mm-hmm. And he, he almost thinks, you know, he's programmed as a defensive back, get around the blocks, right? I'm trying to avoid a block so I can get to the ball. And by the time he'd get there, he'd make he, – he'd almost create an alley by mm-hmm. trying to avoid the block. And you can tell as he figured it out, he started to reprogram himself as a football player. No, no, I got to take on the block with this shoulder and I got to seal this gap. His run um, And then he started, he started to figure it out. He really did. And then he started to make more plays because then he actually figured out when he could totally run around a block and, and just avoid it altogether. And when, as a linebacker, the ball carrier was close enough, no, I don't know, I need to fill this gap. Fill this gap, or do I have time to run around the block or avoid him and still come back and fill the gap? And he just started to figure it out. He and that, didn't early on, but by the end of the season, those little tiny things, the leverage, taking a block on with the right shoulder as opposed to the wrong shoulder, the young man started to figure it out. It was it was really fun to watch. And that's why I, that position, you could say, almost has the highest upside with a guy like him because he had never played the position up until this year. And then you're talking about those gross. He's having in real time to be able to adapt to the situation. And you can see those type of returns that quickly throughout half a season because, I mean, it goes from uh, the Texas Tech game still, everybody yelling for him to be out to where two weeks later it got to the point that he was out taking every single snap. And, like, Juwan Mitchell would stay on in those games where he could, but Demarion was going to play 92 at 92. And when you can talk about learning on the job and then to be able to perform at adequate to then above average to nearly you know one of the best in the conference by the end of the year and that's at a position that you had never done but your natural instincts basically allowed you to get the open door into the position and then you learn on the job that quickly that your upside really is untapped because we haven't seen him be able to be that neo in the matrix where he's actually uh, diagnosing things and understanding and seeing it like a chess move one two or three ahead of a time before he's reacting in an instinctive which is hey, if you got the body type and you like to hit you can be good and then when you add on that that cognitive level was able to improve that fast in this conference that's really something good to be able to manufacture out of nothing yeah uh, you know that's a good debate Matt like which position on defense has the most upside I mean I because knowing what Jawan Mitchell what it looks like his ceiling might be yeah I would still probably say safety just because you know, we still haven't really seen the consistently the consistent best out of B.J. Foster. 
you know, Jaron Thompson. I like what we saw at the end of the year. J.D. Coffey's a guy that is a true freshman enrolling for the spring. We didn't even talk about last week, who I think has a chance to be a really good player at Texas and maybe could factor in into the nickel mix. We'll see what happens. But, um, you know, I said, uh, that said, though, uh, Rod, Matt, is there anybody in that defensive front? I mean, obviously, outside of Collins and Overshone, I think we can we all agree on that, that you're really looking forward to seeing what they do this spring. Like for me, it's Prince Dorba. Um, I don't know anybody on, you know, in the interior defensive line, you know, at inside linebacker. Uh, I'm always intrigued by the young guys and the strides they they make. The you know, Jalen Ford, Jaden Hullaby. That's DSU could still consider Benda a young guy based on experience or, or lack thereof. You know, maybe I don't know. I'm not expecting a whole lot from from Terrence Cooks coming in as a true freshman early enrollee. You know, Marcus Tillman now is what a year and a half almost removed from the injury. So maybe you see something from Marcus Tillman. But I mean, for me. The guy that I want to see what he does this spring in that defensive front is Prince Dorba. Do you guys have have a guy that you want to see what he does this spring? Dorba or Broughton also just a guy to see. if Because if he can add those type of bodies in a one that can really help supplement that position to where you just have no weakness could be a really big deal. Yeah, I was going to go Broughton too. I agree. I mean, 6'4", right around 290, 295. They just, you know, you can't really – you know, you don't find guys with that kind of size. Right. And I'm with you. I'm with Matt. If he, he if he comes in and he starts making strides, man, that D line could be it could be one of the best in the country. I mean, mm-hmm. if he ends up coming of age this early too. Are you guys also looking at it from the standpoint of Broughton's emergence means Bo Davis, Pete Kwiatkowski, you know, Jeff Choke, those guys coaching a defensive front that lets you be more flexible with a guy like Collins. Exactly. If you can depend on Broughton to play more reps. You can have him be outside a chess yeah. piece that can go across. And then just the idea that Kwiatkowski, if you look at his track record, what does he do? He gets more out of that front four than almost any other position group. Like He's been able to elevate those guys, and you already see the baseline, and you've seen the production. So it just makes me more excited. I know it's weird sometimes Like you're like, oh, well, what's the most exciting part? Well, down in the trenches doesn't seem to be, but that D-line, if you can have that, that. It just puts you on an elite level that very few teams in the country can even contend with. Yeah, I'm hoping to have a story this week, or at least before the start of spring ball, uh, up up at Horse 24/7 on havoc rates. Like looking at Pete Kwiatkowski, just mm-hmm. his his history with havoc rates, at least at Washington. And Rod, I don't know if you've looked at it, but really the one thing that I like what he does, and it sounds simple, but we haven't seen that all the time in Texas, and and a lot of places it would surprise you. You know that it doesn't happen very often. He really highlights his strengths. I mean, if you look at some of the havoc rates, you know there was a year that, uh, you know, when he had you know Danny Shelton and guys like that. I mean, their def- their defensive front, their defensive line havoc rate, or the front seven havoc rate was one of the better in the country. Uh, but when it was Buda Baker and those guys on the second of the year, their their defensive back havoc rate shot through the roof. So mm-hmm. uh, you're really just making sure your guy identifying your playmakers and then having a system capable of featuring said playmakers. Yeah, his system is malleable. That's, you know, the best thing about it. I mean, I, I think that the two most important, well, really the most important position, period, is the interior defensive line for Kwiatkowski's scheme. It doesn't always get all of the, you know, the, the headlines, and it may not necessarily get all the uh, statistical uh, you know, prolific stats and the stats love. But the, the fact is, 
when you're creating that numbers advantage he wants, he starts with it up front, scheming up uh, those those matchup advantages mm-hmm. and and trying to use that as a you know a, a way to win the numbers advantage on the back end. And I can't think of a better situation for Kwiatkowski. I know he's got a lot of moving pieces. He's got to try to fit together. Um, we talked about all of the, the, the different skill sets in the back end and on the D-line on the outside. But, man, if Vernon Broughton ends up coming of age and your defensive tackles are Alfred Collins, Keandre Coburn, Vernon Broughton, and Tavonji Sweat, I guess, would be the top four. Yeah. Dude, that, I'm telling you, I, I don't know if Kwiatkowski would have ever had a group that, you know, that deep. Yeah. They do have their, I mean, yes, he's had his Vita Veas and his Danny Sheltons and Greg Gaines, uh, and those guys are were, were really good players. Mm-hmm. Um, Elijah Qualls, I mean, they've, They've had good players on that defensive line. I'm not saying not, but I don't know if they would have been this deep. But truth is, I think all those guys, I don't know about Broughton. I haven't seen enough of Broughton. But I, Alfred Collins, Keandre Coburn, and Tavondre Sweat, I think those guys all got a chance to play on Sundays. Yeah, and if well, and Broughton I know can be in the middle. be like the top, a top 10 pick. But, you know what I mean? I think the rest of those guys have a Sunday skill set. Man, have three D tackles that, you know, have an NFL potential or an NFL ceiling. Uh, that's 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 harkening back to the old days at Texas, man. That's harkening back to the days where you were winning Big Twelve titles. Yeah, and if you were able to do that and say put a guy like Collins on the outside, if you need to find a way to get your best eleven on the field and say Vernon Broughton proves that he can play in the middle, now you can put Collins on the outside and you can have the biggest D line in college football. Yeah, my my parting shot, Rod. To your point, I agree because I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago. Um, for Texas and Oklahoma both, this is the deepest both of those teams have been at the same time in the defensive front. you got to go back to to the late aughts when Oklahoma had that run with Gerald McCoy. You know, ended up being what was what oh, Gerald yeah. McCoy go two or three overall in the draft. And Oklahoma had really yep. good defensive lines. And Texas had that run with Roy Miller, Lamar Houston, and Brian Arakpo uh, when they were turning out high draft picks. This is the best the talent has been. The, the front seven talent has been for Texas and Oklahoma since then. It's been a long gap, and Texas, but it's, and Texas doesn't have a defense defensive ends yet, really. Right, right. They exactly. Lost exactly. that guy, Joseph Osai. He just left early, so that's just how deep that interior D line is. So yeah, Oklahoma's got some dogs too. I'm not. They got some some more daddies. A couple of them too, though. But to your point, like they're the, uh, if you want to have a true hybrid defense, a malleable defense in this league with guys with multiple skill sets, those are the two programs that you know whether they're. Good or bad, and Oklahoma hasn't had a bad year in a really long time, but they should be able, if they're doing it right, they should be able to recruit those kind of guys and have them coming through the program year in and year out. And Texas is getting there, uh, but yeah, Pete Kwiatkowski, it's all about the interior defensive line and building it out from there. All right, guys, good football conversation this week. We will pick it up next week and continue our spring practice preview. And next week, talk a little pro day. Pro day coming up this week. We obviously won't be able to uh, to recap that in the immediate aftermath but we will do that on next week's show matt thanks for everything man you're more than welcome rod b appreciate the time and the knowledge anytime brother for matt for rod for everybody at the austin radio network and the horn 1049 1019 am 1260 streaming on the horn app and at hornfm.com where you can hear rod b on the rodcast each and every on the rodcast on the triple option each and every weekday <laughs> from three to seven
You got back Davis in the old Blunt. studio. <laughs> yes, it's the, that's the triple option. RBKD, Rod Davis, Brad Kellner, Kevin Dunn. <laughs> Three to seven weekdays on the horn, and you can hear myself and Craig wait each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Mac, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to find this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcast. Hit the subscribe button to get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.